Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. Set us on fire. And my, may my words and our hearts bound together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm uh, kicking off this uh, sermon series called God Calls. And uh, actually, Reverend Carrie Smith and I are doing the same sermon series uh, for Epiphany and then also for Lent. And, and so it's kind of exciting because we talk and, and we figure out, you know, where is God calling us in the, in the sermons we're, we're giving. So, um, but what I want to emphasize right now is that um, a lot of people, when they think about God calling, they think about God calling pastors, you know, that, uh, or priests, uh, that, that God really calls people into the ministry of the church. And they don't really have a sense of their own calling, that, that God's voice um, calls you forth. And in this case, in today's scripture, God calls forth your gifts that the Spirit has already given you. Now, don't let that freak you out at all. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you're walking around filled with the gifts of the Spirit. So, and God wants to call that forth into the world. God wants to uh, bring that out in you for, for the help of others, for those most marginalized in our communities, for those who just need, need us. But mainly God calls forth those gifts for the glory of God. That, that really it's about glorifying God with our lives and with the gifts that God has already placed within us, right? So as I talk today, uh, I want you to think about that and think about, well, wonder what, wonder what gifts God has placed within me. Wonder what gifts the Holy Spirit has already breathed into me. And so what would it mean for me to answer that call of God and let those, those gifts flow freely from me into the world? That's what I want us to think about in this sermon series. And, and it's what I want us to think about today for sure. You know, um, this is a well-known passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. And, and what I want to tell you is in it, uh, the Apostle Paul is seeking to bridge a great divide, a widening gap of division that was threatening to destroy the Corinthian church. Does that sound familiar now? A great divide that is threatening to destroy the church or threatening to destroy a nation. They say that Paul, the, most biblical scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter uh, while he was staying in Ephesus, where, one of, where he had planted a church. And he was there for three years. I don't know that it took him that long to write this letter. Maybe it did, but... But he wrote this letter while he was there with the Ephesians. Now, what he says here 
after he has had this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his own life, Paul struggled to teach the Corinthians, who were sometimes confined by their temporal and unspiritual characteristics. Um, they had formerly been pagan worshipers. And, and so what he was emphasizing here is what worshiping the true and living God was in contrast to worshiping idols. Now, um, you, you have to remember the context because the Corinthian church was at a crossroads and so there were all kinds of people and all kinds of backgrounds. And uh, the people who had not heard the message that Paul had to offer, um, they, they received their gifts from many gods. You know, there were all kinds of gods in their culture. There was um, the goddess of fertility, Diana. There was the goddess of love, Aphrodite. There was the god of the sun, Apollo. Well, we don't need to judge that in any way. That is where they were in their culture. But Paul was trying to get something else across here. Paul uh, believed that if he could inform these Corinthians about the one true and living God that he had understood to be real for him as a Pharisee and a Jew, and now he understood to be real for him in the person of Jesus Christ and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if he could just get them to understand this and that all the gifts, all the gifts, all the gifts are given by this God through the Holy Spirit. That's, that was his goal. And so Paul continues stating that these spiritual gifts are exemplified through varieties of things, service and activities and ministry. But it is the same God who causes them to work in all people. And to work, this is really good, and to work for the common good. That the gifts of the Spirit were to bring about a common good that would permeate society, that would allow all people to encounter and have a relationship with and an experience of God in their lives. And that through that, they would do things that would make a difference for all people. The challenge was that the church of Corinth, not unlike the church today, began to see their diversity as an occasion to compete. Now, I know none of us know anything about that, do we? We all have a little competitive streak running up the middle of our back, don't we? And, and so it's an easy slip sliding away that we fall into. What the Corinthians failed to see was how their diversity might be a gift. That their diversity might, in fact, empower everyone, the whole community. That it was about the diversity, the different ways of seeing, the different ways of being, the different ways of understanding that was a gift and a unifying gift. I mean, you heard in the reading or the video, which was beautiful, by the way, I thought, um, and I just loved how at the end she calls the Holy Spirit she. I just have to love that. Anyway, um, in, in the video, we heard the, um, 
gifts articulated. Now, you have to know that throughout his letters, Paul continually refers to gifts, and he always has lists of them. And they're different lists, and, you know, they're fruits of the Spirit, and they're spiritual gifts, and all this. And, and a lot of them are all the same, but some are different, some are longer, some of the lists are longer, some are shorter. Here we get the gifts of things like um, the gift of wisdom, the wisdom to share the good news of God's love for all people. The gift of knowledge, the ability to articulate with some understanding what the Spirit is doing. The gift of faith, uh, that is not, by the way, a measure uh, of faith given to all believers to accept Jesus Christ, but rather the ability to trust God for the works of healing and wisdom and knowledge so long as a person remains connected to the Holy Spirit. The gift of miracle working, the gift of prophecy, the gift of discerning the spirits, and perhaps the most controversial gift of all, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So it's not enough to have a glossolalia moment. Can, can we all say that together? Glossolalia. <laughs> a glossolalia moment. I mean, it has to be interpreted. And so you get somebody who can speak in tongues and you get somebody who can interpret those tongues. And it's controversial, it's been controversial. And, and you know, our siblings in the Assemblies of God often um, have uh, called upon the, the gift of tongues as a, a, as a way of distinguishing that the Holy Spirit, that somebody is being baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's just a different way of understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. As Protestants, mainline Protestants particularly, we get a little woogie about all that. You know, uh, we don't really know what to say about it. It kind of gives us the heebie-jeebies. But the, the truth is, is that um, we don't have to know. Because it's a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit. It is given. And we have to trust that, that somehow, some way, something is happening, mystical and mysterious, that God is doing something. Well, um, perhaps the most important idea in this whole passage is one I've already spoken about, and that is that Paul reaffirms in this passage the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit in the giving and activating and distribution of the gifts. So in other words, uh, it's not what we have to do it's not screwing up our faces and, and working hard and trying to figure out what our gifts are and then using them as best. It's not about what we do. It's about how God does within us, how the Holy Spirit moves within us. We don't have to make things happen. We can allow the Holy Spirit to free us and work in and through us. This is not something we create for ourselves. And this particular passage of Scripture prompts us to celebrate the power and sovereignty of God as God works in the life of every single person. So the next time you're having a fight with somebody, what you need to do is step back a little bit and say, I wonder what your gifts are. <laughs> Don't you think? Don't you think? I mean, it might work. This passage allows us to marvel at God's creativity. God's power, God's grace that brings holiness and wholeness to our lives. 
So during Barack Obama's first presidential campaign, a slogan emerged that helped to raise energy at political rallies. Do you remember it? The people would begin chanting, Si se puede, si se puede. Yes, we can. Do you hear the collectiveness of that slogan? It was a collectiveness. Uh, it was about we, us, and our. The message is echoed, uh, echoed what we're hearing in today's scripture passage, that this is about God, and it's about all of us. It's what we can do more when we're together than we, when we are apart. And now, more than ever, as we attempt to heal our divided nation, we need this kind of thinking, this kind of understanding that we're all in this together, and it's going to take all of us with all our special gifts, with all our special talents to confront the circumstances facing our nation and the world. It's going to take all the gifts. I, I like to say, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. And everybody gets gifts. Everybody gets gifts. Nobody gets all the gifts. Some people might get some more than others, but everybody gets the gifts. And it's going to take all the gifts for us to work our way into a new way of being in the world, into a new way of understanding our collective and communal efforts. Well, despite our obvious need for unity amidst our diversity, the isms of our age still reign. Racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, elitism, we could go on. And these isms continue to be a threat to our hope of being connected as the people of God. It's just a threat. I remind you that despite uh, the church's rhetoric, the Sunday morning worship hour continues to be the most segregated hour in all of the United States. And, and so, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, as a prophet of God, understood these things. He understood. And today, we have this opportunity on this MLK Jr. Sunday to recognize this prophetic voice and to recognize that racism, racism has had a profound impact on the idea of diversity. Um, and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this reality and cautions, cautioned us about what would emerge. He said, put simply, a riot is the language of the unheard. Are you hearing that? A, 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 a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? He lists things for the 1960s, but what today in this year of our Lord, 2022, has America failed to hear? And what have you and I failed to hear? What gifts have we shut out because of our white privilege or our xenophobia, which is the fear of others? Which is, you know, it just gets you sometimes. You know, sometimes you're kind of coasting along and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm good with other people. I like people who are different. I believe in diversity and unity and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden something will happen and I'm thinking, Oh, gosh, that scares me. That scares me. 
And if we're not careful, we'll let that fear control us instead of turning toward the Holy Spirit. So um, here, King's caution to us. He, he says also, and as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. We're in a year of our Lord, 2022, and we're still having riots. He goes on and says, social justice, social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. The disallowing of groups of people, the ability to use their gifts for the common good has undermined America's ability to become the global salad bowl, not the melting pot, has undermined America's ability to become the global salad bowl it alleges to be. And you know why the imagery of salad bowl is good? I was taught this when I was doing um, a stint as a coordinator for disability services at Texas A&M University. And the, the, one of the staff people there sat me down when I first started and said, okay, listen, it's a salad bowl here. It's not a melting pot. The melting pot puts everything together and you can't re recognize anything but a salad bowl. I mean, you can see all the parts, you can see all the diversity, you can see all the things. And, and then the dressing kind of brings it all together, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is the dressing, folks. And we need to be a salad bowl. <laughs> Perhaps you remember the song, The Farmer in the Dell. Do you remember that? I don't know when it came on this last week, but it came on and I had kind of forgotten the words. It's been a long time since we sang The Farmer in the Dell with Sydney. The farmer in the dell, the farmer in the dell, hi-ho the dairy-o, the farmer in the dell. And then the farmer goes on and takes a wife, takes a child, takes a nurse, takes a cow, takes a dog, takes a cat, takes a mouse, and finally, the final verse is, the cheese stands alone. The cheese stands alone. Hi-ho, the dario. the cheese stands alone. Let me explain this to you. You don't want to be the cheese. <laughs> you do not want to be the cheese. In this year, 2022, Father Richard Rohr has selected as his theme, nothing stands alone. Nothing. And it's true, isn't it? We are intrinsically linked, and we have a theological model for that, the Trinity. The Trinity, living in relationship. Something, Richard Rohr says, that we call love. We stand collectively as human beings, creatures and creation together before God, each of us given gifts. Gifts that the Apostle Paul says we are to use for the common good something it seems we have forgotten in these days, because we, like the Corinthians, have made an idol of individuality and isolation. Yet, when we carry our suffering in solidarity, when we allow all people to experience and use their gifts, we meet our universal longing to be free from self-pity and self-preoccupation. 
We know that we are all in this together, especially when we confess that life is just hard. It's hard for everybody, not just some. Our lives and our church teachings must say from the beginning what our goal is. The goal is communion. Communion of us and of the saints. A shared life together as family. The human family. A relationship with the Trinitarian life of God. And that the kingdom for all people is here and now. What's interesting, I think, is that the scripture we heard this morning is the prelude to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know that chapter well because it's read at most Christian weddings. It concludes with these words, Therefore faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. And so it seems to me that Paul is appealing to the church at Corinth and to the church at New Church, Dallas, Texas, to examine our hearts, minds, and souls, to discover the gifts that the Spirit has already bestowed upon us and placed within us, and then to use them for the common good. To do this, we have to listen for God calling us because we already have the gifts. God is calling us forth because God doesn't just call pastors and priests, but God calls everybody and no one gets all the gifts. We all get the gifts, all the gifts. And we have to have each other's gifts in order to change our corner of the world for our good. Hello? It's for you.